get back today into looking at Barnabas. Uh, just for, if you're visiting, and just to set the scene for what I say today, uh, Helen said to me, um, uh, when I was talking to her this week, she said, surely you can't say anything more about Barnabas. Surely this is enough now. <laughs> so, <laughs> this, is the final, this is the final thing I'd like to say about Barnabas. And um, we've been looking at Galatians chapter 2, which is a study of uh, the freedom that we have in Christ. And uh, we've come to this point in chapter 2 where we looked at Barnabas, who's mentioned in chapter 2. And I had a look over the last couple of weeks with you, um, out of Acts primarily, just how we are introduced to Barnabas, and, and the book of Acts speaks of Barnabas as a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And so I looked at you, looked at you, looked with you at that verse and what it meant, and there were five things that I, I drew out of that verse, just saying that Barnabas, um, his goodness was a reflection of the faith that he had in God. And, and what that looked like very practically. So that was the first message we looked at. Last week, I had a look at one of the greatest achievements that Barnabas um, th- lived out, and that was to raise up Paul and to raise up John Mark. And um, Paul, as you know, is probably the greatest missionary that the church has known, and certainly one of the greatest theologians the church has ever known. And John Mark wrote the Gospel of, of um, Mark, and was a partner with Barnabas and Paul in the early years of the church. And so, through this man, Barnabas, who actually managed to um, fade into the background, in a sense, and and make space for Paul and others to to go further than him, uh, we had a look at that remarkable ability to encourage people, to include people, and to do that for other people. And so, I want to look at one final thing with you out of the life of Barnabas this morning, and, and I, I love the Bible because the Bible is so honest. The Bible doesn't try and make things what they're not. The Bible is very plain. It speaks clearly about the great things that people achieve, and it speaks clearly about the weaknesses that people have. And I love that about the Bible, that the Bible is an honest book. It doesn't, you know, we, we live in a culture that loves heroes. Have you noticed that? And so it loves to build people up. And once they are on a pedestal, it likes to chop them down again. Have you noticed that? So it happens with sportsmen, it happens with film stars, it happens with numbers of people. And people, it's like we, we want to have this idea of perfection, and then suddenly when our idea of perfection is tarnished a little bit, we get angry, and then we slate that person, and the, the media has a field day, because they've fallen in some way. But the Bible's not like that. The Bible speaks very honestly about people's strengths and people's weaknesses. So if you have a look at the life of David, who achieved amazing things for his generation, he at the same time was a fallible man that fell in many ways. And here, I'm going to speak to you this morning about Barnabas and the weakness of Barnabas. Because I've tried to speak of some of the strengths that Barnabas had and how he lived and what he did in the early church. But he was a man who had weaknesses. And I, I want to encourage you out of these things that we can learn some lessons out of Barnabas' life and the weaknesses that uh, are evident so that we too can learn and grow in our walk with Jesus. And so, I want to go back to Galatians now. We've been in, in, in Acts for a couple of weeks. We're going to circle back to where we started. Galatians chapter 2, verse 9. When they perceived that the grace of God was given to me, James and Cephas and John, Cephas is just another name for Peter, uh, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised, only they would help have us remember the poor, the very thing that I was eager to do. 
But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, and that's from Jerusalem, the church in Jerusalem, he ate with the Gentiles, but when they came, he drew back and he separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And with him, the rest of the Jews acted insincerely so that even Barnabas was led astray by their insincerity. And we've been having a look at what that, those couple of verses have meant in terms of they're central to the call of the gospel, that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus, and that's what Paul was objecting to, uh, not living by rules, not living by observing custom and ritual, not living by only eating with certain people who agree with us in terms of our culture, but actually we are called to love everybody, embrace everybody, and in Christ we are made clean. And I've, I've spent weeks looking at that with you. I just want to remind you of Hebrews 13 as well, verse 7, which says, Remember your leaders, imitate their faith, uh, those that spoke the word of God to you, consider the outcome of their life, and imitate their faith. And that's really why we've been looking at Barnabas, because I think there are some things that we really can be encouraged with out of his life. And I, I did also try to encourage you to read lives of great men and women that have gone before us. Uh, I try to encourage you to read biographies. Uh, and I, I personally have been impacted by many people through just reading about their lives. And I'm convinced of this. If Jesus can captivate any person by the power of his Spirit and, and transform that person's life, and then it's, it's not surprising that those that walk close with Jesus, uh, we, we, can, we can learn from them. And that's why I encourage you to read as much as possible of those that have gone before us. And so that's for me, is the value of um, learning from a, a, a person like Barnabas. And so I said to you that uh, we're going to look at Barnabas' weak, weakness today. And it's amazing how often your strength can be at the same time can be your weakness. And I want to look at you, look with you this morning at a great strength of Barnabas, which became his weakness. Barnabas' great strength was that he was patient with people. He was an incredibly patient man. He, he could include others, like I said to you last couple of weeks. He could look beyond imperfection. He could, he, he could uh, see the embers of the grace of God in someone's life and be patient with them so that he could bring them through. That's a great strength. Unfortunately, it can also, it, we'll see this morning, it became his weakness as well. And uh, I, I believe that we can learn from that. So um, I pointed you to the fact that in Acts 9, out of all the people in all of the early church, the only one that had courage to take a chance on Paul was Barnabas. And we had a look at that. And uh, he used Barnabas in an amazing way to draw Paul in to the early church and to open a door for him in a wonderful way. But let's have a look. I just want to, uh, as a bit of a background this morning, Acts 15.36 um, and Acts 12, just who, who John Mark is, this person John Mark, that is part of the story. So if you want to look in Acts 12.25, we see that Barnabas and Saul bring a young man called John Mark to Antioch. Remember, Antioch is part of Galatia, and that's where they're ministering. So they bring John Mark with them from uh, Jerusalem to Antioch. And Mark's, Mark's mother was a lady called Mary. Now, if you remember in Acts, when, when Peter is imprisoned, remember? 
and uh, they singing behind the, the bars of the prison, and they are released. He goes to Mary's house, and he knocks on the door. Do you remember that story? Well, John Mark was living with Mary. He was part of the household. We know also from Colossians 4 that John Mark was Barnabas's cousin. He was related to him. And so John Mark was very much part of the early church. He was part of the life of the church in Jerusalem. He knew a whole lot of people, and he was part of the life of the church in Jerusalem. And so we also know, and we had a look at this, that John Mark leaves Paul and Barnabas um, when they're on this missionary trip um, from Antioch in Acts 13 to uh, they, they, they decided to take John along as their assistant, their apprentice on this missionary journey. But after they leave Cyprus and they he- headed for a place called Pamphylia, something happens in the, in the company. And um, in one sentence, we read this in Acts 13, 13. Paul and his company set sail from Paphos and came to Perga, Perga and Pamphylia. And John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. So something happened, they have some kind of disagreement, and John leaves them and goes back to Jerusalem. And it's very interesting to me, because when Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, he doesn't pass judgment. He's very reserved. He just, in one sentence, he just says, um, John Mark left, and that's pretty much that. So I find that interesting, and we'll come to see why I think that happens. And that's where Acts 15 picks up. Because now, it's three years later, after that first uh, situation, and that journey is over, and um, after the council in Jerusalem has settled this issue of circumcision, that we, we don't need to be circumcised, and after Paul and Barnabas are back in Antioch, they're teaching and preaching again, and here, three years later, Paul wants to go on another journey. He wants to go back and encourage the churches that they encouraged three years previously. And so in Acts 15, we read this in verse 36. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Come, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. And Barnabas wanted to take them, um, John, take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought it best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp contention so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. And so here we have this big disagreement that they have, the sharp disagreement of these two very close friends who had worked together for many years, and they have this this sharp disagreement. And for me, this is the best example uh, that I can think of, of showing the weakness of Barnabas' patience with the failures of others. Why? I've said to you before, he's the son of encouragement. He's the one who wants to include. He's a, he's a people person. He's a brother. I've, I've discovered this in ministry. There are brothers and there are workers. And this is what happens when you lead in, in the church. And I've seen, I've, seen, I've seen this on many staff, in many staff situations in churches. The brothers. The brothers, the brothers are wonderful. They always want to have coffee. They always come to your office. They want to talk. They chat. They're the brothers. They're, they're relational. And then they're the workers. And the workers come in. They hardly say hello to you. They just go to their office. They close the door. And they're on their computer doing work. That's not a bad thing. It's just people are different. And I want to say the church needs lots of brothers. 
The church needs some workers. And the workers need to become more like brothers, and the brothers need to become a little bit more like the workers, isn't it? We need both. We're not wanting to judge people. We, we, we need brothers and workers. And here we have the example of Barnabas. Barnabas is a brother. He's an he's a includer. He's a people person. He loves people. Paul is a worker. Paul is a little bit more, he's about the gospel. He's about, he's about getting the message out. He's about seeing people saved. We need both in the church. And so Paul disagrees. And the issue seems to be so deep that they can't resolve it. And it is interesting to me because they've been friends for 15 years up to this point. 15 years. And so I, what I'd like to try and explore with you this morning is a little bit, what, how do we handle disagreement in the church? What happen, how do we handle it when leaders disagree? It's a real thing. Yeah. How do we handle it when leaders disagree? When there's a genuine sense of, no, I feel like God is saying this, and someone else says, no, I feel like God is saying this, and you can't agree. What do you do? So we'll have a look at that this morning. So which one of these guys was right? Well, uh, like I've said to you, Luke was remarkably objective. He doesn't seem to take sides. He doesn't, um, there's only one indication for me that perhaps there's that little sentence that just says, Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brothers to the grace of God. There was a sense that there was a commendation from the church that Paul was doing, possibly doing the right thing. Because it says they commended him by the Holy Spirit. But that's the only clue that we have. So who was right? Well, uh, I, I just think uh, Luke is remarkable that he doesn't take sides. He doesn't make Paul out to be this kind of ogre. He doesn't make Barnabas out to be some kind of weak man. The impression that you just left with is these two great figures just couldn't come to agreement. And there's this rupture in the relationship. And so, but before we can look at this and learn some lessons out of this thing in Galatians, there was um, a, a more important incident that I want to bring into the picture. And that's Galatians 2 that we already uh, have read today. And there's this more serious run-in that they have in, in Antioch. So before the separation happened, Barnabas uh, and, uh, between Barnabas and Paul, they, Peter had come down to Antioch from Jerusalem, and we have this situation where he withdraws from eating with the Gentiles. And um, he, it's like he gets caught up in this pressure from the guys that are coming from uh, Jerusalem and withdraws from his position that he had been holding. And um, the thing that is important out of this little story is what is so crucial is the truth of the gospel, isn't it? And that's what we've been looking at. They're, 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 where, the, where the gospel goes, the gospel brings freedom. Where the gospel is preached, it includes everyone, and that's what is at stake for Paul. And so he's, he's, he's absolutely takes the others on head on because he knows it's a crucial issue. And I want to say that this, this for, for me, uh, that's Paul's great strength. Paul knew that when truth is at stake, people are at stake. And when, when the gospel message is diluted down, what it end, ends up in doing is damaging people and people are lost. And that's why Paul was so strong in opposing uh, Peter at that situation. But the thing is that both Paul, Peter and Barnabas were wrong. Uh, as we've seen, the actions were out of line with the gospel. They weren't w walking in step with the gospel that they said they believed. And, and here we have this great bursting of the bubble, if you like. 
<laughs> Barnabas' bubble is burst at this point. Uh, he, we find out that he is fallible. He, uh, our great encourager of the early church, our great hero of the early church, is fallible and he's flawed. And there are, th- there are five things I'd like us to learn out of this story. Um, and the first is simply this, that all great saints go astray. I wish it was not true, but this is, this, is, this is undeniable. All great saints go astray. And I'm not just going to pick on Barnabas right now. Let's look at Barnabas and Paul. Paul himself had already warned people loud and clear. We had a look at that situation where they're trying to say that the gods have come. Zeus has come in the person of Barnabas. And, and, and Hermes has come in, in the person of Paul. And Paul says, no, we're not gods. We're just ordinary people. Don't, don't make us what we're not. Do you remember? We had a look at that last week. And uh, he'd, he'd gone to great lengths, Paul had gone to great lengths, just to encourage people that they were just ordinary guys. They, they, they were not something much higher that people were trying to make them. Men, why are you trying to do this to us? We are also, why, why are you doing this? We are also men, just of a, a nature like you. And so Paul is very at pains to, to point to his fallibility, to the fact that he's just an ordinary guy. Um, Philippians 3.12, 1 Timothy 5, 1 Timothy 1.15. Paul confesses he's a, just an ordinary guy. I'm just a sinner that needs Jesus. And so whether it's Barnabas or Paul, all of us have the potential to fall. And that's the first thing we need to admit. Everyone has the potential to go astray. The second thing I'd like us to see is this, and this is where it gets hard. All life and all ministry in terms of church life is made up of judgment calls, isn't it? It's made up of judgment calls. And this is the thing. Um, we have to just be honest about that. It's, uh, what I mean by a judgment call is when we have to make a decision where the Bible is not specific about it. In other words, the Bible says, do not commit adultery. That's a pretty easy decision maker for you. But what, is, what happens when the Bible doesn't say something specific about a specific situation that you are facing and you have to make your own call based on your understanding of the Scripture, your expense, and your hearing the Holy Spirit? That's far more difficult, isn't it? And so Matthew Henry, he wrote a wonderful commentary on the Bible. He calls those times, he says those are points of prudence where we have, to, we have to make up our own mind under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And that's where it becomes much more complicated. And that's where we have the situation here with Paul and with Barnabas. There's no scripture that says when a young man backs out of, of a mission trip um, for whatever reason, give him a second chance 18 months later. Let him just uh, think about his actions for a while and give him a second chance later. The, the Scripture doesn't say anything like that. But what the Scripture does say is, encourage the faint-hearted, <laughs> help the weak, be patient with everyone. That's what the Scripture does say, doesn't it? And so we also have principles in the Bible about leadership. Leaders in the church should be above reproach. They should be well-tested. And these uh, stress different elements of God's glory or God's mercy or whatever, whatever it is. But where there are no specific governance by which we can just say, yes, that's what we need to do, it becomes a much more complicated thing to deal with. And uh, often people differ on how things need to happen. Hearing the same God through the same word by the same Holy Spirit 
they hear different things. And so I love what Matthew Henry says about um, being wise at this point. He says, Even those that are united to one and the same Jesus and sanctified by one and the same Spirit have different opinions, different views, and different sentiments in points of wisdom or prudence. And it will always be like this while we are in a state of darkness and imperfection. We shall never be of a mind till we come to heaven where light and love are perfect. And I think we would be wise in the church to listen to those very wonderful words from Matthew Henry. We're never going to have perfection on earth until we get to heaven. And we certainly can see heaven come down and transform communities and transform churches. But it's never going to be absolutely perfect because we are all flawed. And so, it's interesting the word that Luke uses in Acts 15 to describe Paul's conviction that Mark shouldn't go with them on the, on, on the trip. It says literally, um, Acts 15.38, Paul did not count it fitting or proper to take along someone who had withdrawn from them. So it's an issue of wisdom. It's an issue of strategy. It's an issue of saying, well, I don't think this is going to work. And Paul is saying that is, um, specific, for specific reasons. So how, how do we view their disagreement then? Well, you see, Barnabas, the great encourager, He's focusing on the potential and the calling of Mark, isn't he? He's, he's thinks things from that perspective. Paul is looking at things from the perspective of the potential for the gospel, the cause of the gospel, honoring what God had called them to do and the mission that they're on. He's seeing it from that perspective. And I don't see that as bad. I must be honest with you. Uh, it's, the, it's the fighting that is bad. It's, the, it's the, um, the resulting bitterness that is bad, but the disagreement is, is not bad. It's interesting to me that neither of them, Paul doesn't withdraw, Barnabas doesn't withdraw. They get on and do what God has called them to do. I think that's a brilliant thing. So they don't stop preaching the gospel, they just go and do it in different ways. And isn't, isn't that the lesson that we can learn? There are, there are different ways that people want to preach and express the gospel. It's not that Paul was right and Barnabas was wrong. It was just they were different. And we can learn from that. We can give grace to each other for difference in the church. Um, And my point is simply that we need to become wise by the power of the Holy Spirit when these situations occur. We're never going to have complete agreement with everybody, but we certainly can encourage people in the mission that God has called them to and bless them as they go and do what God has called them to do, if it's not exactly the same as what God called us to do. And thirdly, my point is this, that encouragers are vulnerable. Encouragers are vulnerable, like everybody else has got a vulnerability. Because encouragers have this, this um, potential to minimize truth for the sake of relationship. To minimize truth for the sake of relationship. So this was Barnabas' great strength. He was an encourager. He was an includer. He loved people. He wanted to be involved with people. His weakness out of that strength was that he compromised on truth for the sake of the friendships, for the relationships. That's not good. Why? Because if we preach a false gospel, what suffers is people in the end. And so... I think Paul didn't get sucked into the hypocrisy that was coming from the, the, the Jerusalem church because he wasn't, he wasn't mates with those guys in the same way that Barnabas was mates with. But he, was very, he had close relationship. He loved the friendship. And friendship is a wonderful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Except when the truth gets distorted. 
and it's not quite the truth anymore. And for the sake of our friendships, we want to keep the thing together. Sometimes we can't. For the sake of the gospel, if Paul hadn't stood up and disagreed with these guys, the church would not have been pure for 2,000 years. Isn't that true? He had to. Someone had to stand up and say, no. So my encouragement is this. Uh, I, I mean, uh, Paul, Paul, if we have a look at Galatians 1, remember Paul, he was, he was harsh with himself as well. He said, uh, even if we, or an angel from heaven, preaches to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preach to you, let him, be, let him be cursed. His language is very strong. We had a look at that. So Paul's applying the same rule to himself. He's implying the same measure to himself. And so Paul's uh, victory here kept the gospel pure for thousands of years. And this is the third th- fourth thing I want to say. Um, encouragers c- can be vulnerable to compromising on truth, but I say at the same time, we need diversity of strengths in the church. We need both. It's, um, we need Barnabases and we need Pauls. And what I'm trying to say to you this morning is let the Barnabases encourage and include and not get upset with the Pauls who are saying, actually, this is what the Scripture says. And let those that say, this is what the Scripture says, always be open and soft-hearted to including as many people as they can and keeping relationships intact. Are you with me? We need both. We don't want the Barnabases to become Pauls, and we don't want the Pauls to become Barnabases. We need Barnabas, and we need Paul. We need encouragers, we need those that stand for truth. We need both. And so, the beauty for me of this story is that at the beginning of his Christian walk, the only one that would stand up for him, uh, for Paul, was Barnabas. And here, 15 years later, when, when Barnabas needs to be corrected, who's the one who does it? Paul, the one that he opened the door for, because he's, he's seeing things in, the line, in alignment with the gospel. And so I want to encourage you as we see this church grow and this community grow, that we make space for people that see things slightly differently for us, as long as, uh, from us, as long as we're not compromising the truth of the gospel for the sake of some other gospel. Yes? And so we've got to walk this tension. Truth and grace. Word and spirit. Encouraging, standing for righteousness. Both at the same time. And so the last thing I want to say is... Uh, the last thing we can learn from, from this is that we can't rest on our past. We can't rest on what God has done for us and say that that's going to be sufficient for the future. Because um, we see Acts 11.24, Barnabas was a good man full of the Holy Spirit. God was using him mightily. He was instrumental in birthing the church in Antioch and seeing it grow very quickly under his ministry. Hundreds of people were saved. But in Galatians 2, this great man, Barnabas, is not full of the Holy Spirit. He's not. He's not acting as a man full of the Holy Spirit. At this point in Galatians 2, he's walking in error. He's actually given in to pressure from other people. He's withdrawn from the, the things that he was proclaiming, and he's not eating with Gentiles. And that's why he needs to be challenged. His previous, his previous um, stuff that he did is still there. But at this point, he's not being faithful to the gospel. Just because we've been faithful to do the gospel in the past doesn't automatically mean we're going to stand and be faithful to the gospel now unless we are aware of what needs to be done and we are being obedient to the Holy Spirit. And so I'm just trying to say, let none of us, I include myself, 
rest on our laurels. Let, let none of us say, well, God used me mightily in the past. He's going to continue to use me mightily in the future. I've got it made. I can just chill out. No, there's the sense of hearing the Holy Spirit's voice in our lives daily and helping uh, Him to take us forward. Our past experiences and our past usefulness are no guarantee of future obedience in our lives. And I love Paul's, this, at this point I have to say, I love Paul's language. Remember um, 1 Corinthians 9, Philippians 3, he says this, I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. <laughs> I love these images. But I pummel my body and subdue it, lest after preaching to others, I myself am disqualified. Forgetting those things that lie behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's Paul's heart all the time. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done. It's brilliant. It's glorious. God, I just want to keep on going. There's a prize ahead that I still haven't yet achieved in you. Amen? And let's be those that um, have that same attitude as Paul did. And lastly, the wonderful thing is that there is this, I, 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 out of the story for me, is that God always gets his way. <laughs> and there is reconciliation. And there, we don't know how it happens, but God works this thing out between Paul and Barnabas. Why do I say that? Well, we know that they worked it out. Because in 1 Corinthians 9, uh, this is long after the separation has happened, Paul, writing of his friend Barnabas, says this, he's a fellow worker who shares my life and my labor. It's beautiful, isn't it? So they had this, we don't know how they resolved it, but this point, when he's writing to the Corinthian church, is many years later, and he speaks of his friend Barnabas again, says he's a fellow laborer with me, he shares my life with me. There's some kind of God has brought the two together again. In uh, 2 Timothy 4, Paul says to Timothy, Luke is with me, get John Mark and bring him with you, for he's very useful to me. Isn't that amazing? So he's reconciled with John Mark as well. In the, we don't know how it's happened, but he's reconciled. He's reconciled with Barnabas. He's reconciled with John Mark. Was it the rebuke that reconciled the, the, the two of them, or was it Barnabas' tender wooing and patience that saved Mark so that he could carry on for the sake of the gospel? We don't know. It could have been one. It could have been both. But my point is that God brings his purpose in the end, doesn't he? And I know there are relationships in my life that I'm trusting for God to restore. And that's cool. I know he'll do it. In his time, he will do it when it's perfect. And it might still be 10 years. It might be 5 years. It might be 15 years. It might be tomorrow. I don't know. But I'm trusting God and saying, Lord, those things that you know need to be reconciled, do it by the power of your Spirit, that this testimony can be the same for me. My brothers, my workers, who share my life, share the labor that we have enjoyed together. And the third little clue is that neither Paul nor Barnabas quit the ministry. Uh, that's a great tragedy for me. People have fights, and then they quit the ministry. People have fights, they quit the church. No, come on, guys. We, we, we can be bigger than that under the power of the Holy Spirit, yes? We might disagree. We might have some contentious issues. Can't resolve them now. We still preach the gospel. We still get on with it. We still There's so many people that need Jesus and need salvation. We trust Him to reconcile things in his time. Amen? And God, God does this over and over again. If you read church history, out of what seems to be failure, he always brings the embers of, of grace to 
fire and that brings glory to him and he does amazing things. And so I would say to you that the defeats that we sometimes have in our lives are never permanent. They're only temporary. (laughs) And we can enjoy ongoing uh, glory, reconciliation as our hearts are soft and open to the Holy Spirit. And so as we give ourselves to the sovereign hand of God in our lives, He always brings reconciliation in the end. And so to conclude, maybe the musicians can come up. We're just going to worship again. Um, Let me just summarize these little points that I've brought to you this morning. Everyone has the potential to go astray, even like Peter and uh, people like Barnabas. Our lives, our ministries are made up of judgment calls and we have to be clear under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit how to make the, the call that is wise in the moment that is needed without being bitter and resentful when people disagree with us. We all have our strengths. For every strength, there's a corresponding weakness. Let's be aware of strengths and weaknesses and be praying for each other and encouraging each other in our strengths and uh, standing with, our, with those when they are feeling weak. And I want to encourage you, like Paul, let's strain on to the prize that Christ has for us, the goal that he has, laying aside all things that hinder, being grateful for the past, but pressing into the future, future call for the glory of God that he has for our lives. Amen.